Hello. There we go. Well, hi, everybody. If y'all are feeling good, wave your hand around a little bit. Let me see who's all oh, good. Good. I'm glad you're all here tonight. All right, what I want you to do real quick is I want you to turn to everybody in the earshot of you, person next to you, person behind you, everywhere you can get a hold of somebody. I want you to tell them, I am glad you are in this family with me. Tell them that. I am glad you're in this family with me. Family of faith, amen? Yeah. Let them know that. Well, we are glad you're a part of this family of faith. Um, my dad, just a real quick thing, it's not what I'm talking about, but my dad has three sisters, and several years ago, my grandfather passed away. He had, he had a business that was still in function, a house that was paid off, and some, some different assets, and although they sort of knew it was coming, when the final thing came down, when the will was given out and, and, and things were divided up, one of my aunts wasn't happy with what happened. And things got nasty. And she became estranged from the family. Quit showing up to functions, wouldn't talk to nobody, would communicate with my father, but certainly wasn't talking to her sisters. And I was, I was home last Christmas in Pennsylvania. My aunt was having to get together on Christmas Eve. Everybody was there but my, my Uncle Gary and my Aunt Marion. She's the one that was estranged. And uh, partway through the night, Uncle Gary comes walking in the room. I was like, wow, this is cool. And so we get up, we're talking to him, and, and I hadn't seen him in a long time. And I was talking to him. I said, where's Aunt Marion? He goes, she's sitting in the car. Won't come in. I walk outside. I remember it was snowing like crazy. It was cold. I walked over. I knocked on the windshield, and she didn't know we had come home because she wasn't talking to nobody. She kind of freaked out, you know, got out, and we were talking, and she was so happy to see me. I said, why don't you go inside? And she just started crying. I said, look, none of this is worth it to be estranged from your family. And she cried, and she cried, I just can't do it. And she cried, I just can't do it. And she just cried, and she got back in the car and sat there until my Uncle Gary left. Good news is just a couple months ago, they had a family get together, and she went, and it seems like things are going in the right direction. I say that to say this. We are a family of faith together. Don't ever let the pettiness of imperfections that we have a tendency to find among ourselves to keep you from coming to the gathering of our family. Amen. Amen. You understand what I, you know what I mean? It, it happens so much. Here, let's just, let me just say this and I'll get into my message. We're not perfect, but we have Jesus. Amen. So let's keep getting together. You know what I mean? And it just, 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 just move on and, and, and forgive as the Lord forgave us and that's how we get along. Amen. Anyway, just wanted to throw that out. Um, Nicole, a couple weeks ago, started a series on Turkey Tuesday. She started a series on Thanksgiving. How many of y'all were here Turkey Tuesday? And, and she talked that night about giving thanks in all things. She continued that series last week, and she talked about prayer and, and went to the Lord's Prayer, but talking about Thanksgiving in the context of our prayer life, okay? So, series on Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm going to sort of close that series out tonight. I want to talk to you about something tonight that I don't necessarily think is a popular subject, and it's not talked about a lot, 
But if I can so humbly uh, throw this out, I believe if I could add, if, if you look up uh, what would be called the virtues of the Christian faith, and certainly you find different lists, certainly there's one of, of three, uh, faith, hope, and love, and you can find some other ones that are a little longer. If I could humbly say this, I, I would like to add this subject to the virtues of the Christian life, and the virtue is a, a, a standard of morality that we will live by, okay? Um, and the and I, reason I want to add that is specifically for churches, Christians that live in Western society, also known as well-to-do society, as we are sort of creating forward in, in the 21st century. And this virtue I'd like to add to the list of Christian virtues is, is this word called contentment. We don't talk about it a whole lot. But I, I want to I spend some time. I actually got a few things to say tonight. But I want to talk to you tonight about contentment. And, and it goes along with what we've been talking about in giving thanks. Contentment. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a quick definition of what it means to be content. So if you're taking notes, write this down. To be content means to be satisfied and at peace. That's what word content means. That content, if I am content, that means I'm satisfied and I am at peace. So in other words, if, if I live a life of contentment, no matter my circumstances, where I'm at in life, and no matter what I'm trying to achieve, and no matter where I'm at in the ups and downs in life, if I'm content in this moment right now, I can feel a sense of being satisfied, and I can feel at peace. That's what contentment is. Now, we're going to jump into the scriptures in a couple of moments to find this. Um, we live in a capitalistic society. Uh, Western society, uh, well-to-do society, driven by what? What, what is capitalism driven by? Money. Capitalism works because we spend money. And I want to talk to you about contentment within the scope of money and material things. That's what I want to talk about tonight. Did you know that if you looked up uh, per capita, the, the income earning per capita in the world, uh, the United States of America ranks eighth in the world of per capita earning, which kind of surprised me, to be honest with you. If I had guessed, I would have put us in the top five, but we're number eight in the world. Not too bad. Now, do with this what you will, and I'm not trying to draw a, too much of a correlation, but just do with this what you will. If you look up the most happy countries in the world, the United States of America ranks number 18. Draw your own conclusion. Eighth in the world in per capita income as what we make. Eighteenth in the world in saying, well, yeah, we're happy. What happens is America, capitalistic economy, which is, is a lot of great things about it. The pursuit of the American dream, which is the pursuit of happiness, right? We have the ability in America to pursue happiness. Sometimes that gets twisted into... I'm pursuing things that I think will make me happy. 
if you know what I mean. And it turns into this, this idea that whoever dies with the most toys wins. Right? You ever hear that before? Whoever dies with the most toys, in other words, it's accumulation of finances and material things will make me happy. But if you want to draw a comparison, we're eighth in per capita income, but 18th in what we've considered happy. I'm not sure that that's necessarily true. And you hear you say, money can, can't buy you happiness, but it sure helps. I'm not actually going to argue the point, but the, but the point is, as Christians, living by an ethical, moral code that's different than the way the world works, we are called to a life of contentment within those things, and we must understand what it means to live a life of contentment within the society in which we live, because it means a lot. It has some ramifications. Now, what I want to do is I want to throw some qualifiers out. So I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. We're actually going to read three scriptures, draw some points from those, and I'm going to give you three main points after that. But before we get there, I'm going to throw some qualifiers out. So listen to what I'm about to say, because I'm not going to spend the rest of the night qualifying everything I say, if you know what I mean by that. Contentment is not, so listen to me, Contentment is not or does not mean that God does not bless us. Contentment is not that you cannot plan, increase, save, lay things back for your children, your grandchildren. Contentment is not, any, not against any of those things. You understand me? You should be wise in your finances. You should be smart in how you stay. There's a wisdom of stewardship that you must live by in your life. So, so I'm saying that so as I say things later on, you remember I said that. But also, on the flip side of it, contentment is not saying I can be lazy and God will still bless me. You understand? So keep those qualifiers in mind as we start to go down scriptures and, and things like that. Okay? So contentment satisfaction and peace where I'm at in my current circumstance. Now, those who are content are able to give thanks in all circumstances because in all circumstances they can be satisfied and have peace. Those who are content are able to give thanks in all circumstances because in all circumstances, they can be satisfied and find peace. Amen. But those who are not content do not overflow in thanksgiving because what they have is never enough and they ultimately overlook what they do have. They are always driven for more. When you are not content, you are just never satisfied. What I have isn't enough. What somebody else has is what I want. And in that, there's never really thanksgiving coming from your heart for the blessings that you have currently. Because I'm of the opinion, no matter where you're at in life, you can find the blessings of God if you look hard enough. Amen? Amen? Contentment shows you that. It leads you to that. So if you are content... You give thanks, no matter what. When you're not content, 
just ask yourself. You get, up, you get caught up in this rat race of life that Jesus warned against when he said, just be careful that you don't gain the whole world then lose your soul. You realize you can gain everything you think you want yet lose your soul. You can have it all. You can, you can have the house of your dreams, the car that you want, the boat that you want. I mean, you can just name stuff off. Live in the neighborhood that you want to live in. Have a big, fat bank account, big, fat savings account. Set your children up for the rest of their lives and your, their grandchildren. That's a good, wonderful thing to do that. But you can gain all of that, but yet at the same time lose your soul. So what's more important to you? That's what contentment leads us to. So, Luke chapter number 12. Let's start setting this up scripturally. Luke chapter number 12. Let's start with Jesus here. Some things that he said, then we'll jump over to Philippians and 1 Timothy and some things that Paul wrote. Luke chapter number 12 and verse number 13. And one of the companies said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide his inheritance with me. Yeah, we got a family trouble over inheritance like my family, I guess. And Jesus, he said unto him, man who made me judge or divider over you. Okay, so then he said to them, take heed, beware of covetous, or, or you can put the word greed there. Now watch this. This is an extremely important thing that Jesus says right here. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. In other words, life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Think about that. Life does not and cannot fulfill, be fulfilled in having things. True life and what life is intended for us to, to, to be and to have cannot be fulfilled in possessing things. Now again, we live in society that this, this pursuit of happiness gets turned into, I will find happiness because I can pursue and achieve and have certain things. And Jesus said, no. If you think life consists in what you own, Money in the bank account or stuff that you buy and have or stuff that's given to you. If you think that's the, the ultimate at life, you're missing the whole thing. Let's, let's keep reading. And he spake a parable unto them. The ground of a certain rich man had brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what sh shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? In other words, his farm was doing really well, growing so much that he didn't know what he's going to do with all of it. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, and, and be merry. And before that, he's going to take ease. What did he do? He tore down his barns that were full, built bigger barns 
and just filled it all up. The guy had what you considered a lot of an abundance of possession. And look what Jesus says. Thou fool. Look at that. That's a strong words. Thou fool. This night thy soul will be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So he that lays a treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This, this, this guy was successful. In American culture, we have this idea that if you have lots of stuff, that means you were successful. Christianity defines the word success in a different way. Again, these are ideals that we have that need to be shaped by scripture rather than culture. You understand what I mean by that? There's an idea, ideal of American society and Western society, well-to-do society, that if you have lots of stuff, you are successful. Jesus said, no, success is not that you have lots of stuff, but that you are rich toward God. That's success. What does it mean to be rich towards God? Well, Jesus didn't define it. I would propose to you, take this what you will, I would propose to you that being rich towards God is doing the great commandments. Loving God with everything you have, loving your neighbor as yourself, and within those you become a giver, giving towards God and giving towards others. That's being rich towards God. That's what I propose that means. So Jesus is laying down something here. True life is not found in what you own. Be careful of greed. Be careful of covetousness. These things are not good for you. Let, let me do a thought experiment. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb right here. You ready to go on a limb with me? Everybody wave at me if you're ready. Okay, let's do a thought experiment. It's a little dangerous. So you're going to have to think with me. You got a house right over here. Let's say this house is 4,500 square feet three-car garage, a couple nice cars in it. Can't put a third car in the third garage because there's a boat in there. Long driveway, well-manicured lawn, landscaping to, 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 to the top you can do it. So much that at the end of the driveway, there's a couple pillars with lights and a gate. You go down the the block around the corner, down a little side street, and there's a trailer. The yard's taken care of, but there's not much landscaping. There's a pickup truck sitting there that's seen its better days. Old band, it's probably got about 250,000 miles on it. Transmission, seen better days. No boat. None of the long driveway with the pillars and the lights and the gate. Who, according to what Jesus just said, has better life? Think. Now, what does your ideal of American tell you? We're going to the big house. Well, what Jesus said just looking at those two, you actually can't make a call. You can't say. 
could be in the big house, you've got a family who's Christian family. Good marriage. The kids are being raised up in the Lord. They're, they're chasing Jesus. And down in the trailer, you've got a guy who's beating his wife. The oldest kid's addicted to drugs. You know, things just aren't going good. Then you would say, where's life, true life happening? In the big house. But then switch it. In the big house, you got an abusive dad beating the wife and a kid that's addicted to drugs and can't get off and a house that's full of pornography. And in the trailer, you got a dad who's doing his best, who loves his wife with everything he's got, raising their kids in the admonishment of the Lord. Where is life now? See, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You see. But let, let's, let, and this is where we're going to go way on the limb. That was easy. Let's just say they're both the same. Who has better life? In our ideals, we want to push towards the one that has a lot of stuff, right? But in that case, you can't make a call. Because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, if you peg me, or you say that stuff, where are you in that picture? Well, I'll be honest, I am, I am not quite middle. I'm, if you came to my house and all that stuff, I would be slightly towards the bigger house. As far as possessions go. But I say that with this, and I shared this with you before. One of the things that I think about very consistently is do I give enough? Have I become too comfortable with what I have? I remember something that struck me so hard, and I shared this with you probably two or three years ago, I was, I was reading a story uh, of, uh, it may have been Frederick Douglass, I'm not sure, but it was an account of a, of a slave in, in, the, in the South, probably 10 or 15 years before the outbreak of the Civil War. And this slave had been, been sold to a family more north, I, I'm guessing maybe Maryland area. And the account of a slave was this. We are barely getting enough to eat to the point that we are hungry. And we know in the storehouse there is an abundance of food that a lot of it is starting to rot. And it's not being given to us. And all the while we can hear our owners in the house praying, Lord, increase our abundance. Those are the things that I think about to me, in my being comfortable where I am at in life with possessions, I'm being honest, I'm being transparent, that am I giving enough? So my wife and I pretty soon before the new year will be talking about our finances for next year, we'll make some plans, target some things, we'll talk about our savings, retirement, different stuff. One of the things we always talk about is our giving. 
What do we want to do in extra things? How, where do we want to increase? And it just, just nags me and just gnaws at my innards till we have that conversation, we make a plan. Because I need to know that I'm not going to be this rich fool that when my life is called to account, that God looks at me and says, you should have been more rich towards me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Contentment allows you to be rich towards God because you're satisfied and at peace where you are enough that you can do the things that consider rich towards God. Amen? Let's go on. Philippians chapter 4. Let's get into some things that Paul said. Philippians chapter 4. In verse number 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at last your care of me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Now I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. In other words, Paul's saying, I know what it's like to have and I know what it's like to have not, but I've learned to be content in all of it. Now watch what he says, because we, we hear this verse so much, but see the context of what he's saying. Verse 13, and I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That verse we hear so much, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know the context of that is Paul saying, I can be content when I don't have everything because I know it is in him that I have strength and I can do all this. He was talking in his moments when just he, he knows what it means to be in lack. He's been, read the story of Paul traveling. My goodness, he's shipwrecked, he's been in jail, he's been beaten. He knows. But he's learned to be content in all those things. And his contentment is found in the fact that no matter what, I can do everything because it's him who strengthens me. See, we find contentment in the fact that God is our provider, that God is our sustainer, not the things that we chase to accumulate. see that it is God who picks me up it is God who meets my needs and if you keep on going if you keep reading there in verse 19 what, what's it say the riches of Christ Jesus right in that my needs will be supplied for he will supply all my needs right to the glorious riches of Christ Jesus. See, that is the basis of contentment. I can find satisfaction and peace right here where I'm at in my life today because he's with me. He's not going to leave me. He will not forsake me. I don't have to focus on those things and become covetous. I don't have to allow greed to drive me to gain because God's with me. 
He sustains me. He provides all that I need. Amen? 1 Timothy, chapter number 6. Let's keep moving along. 1 Timothy, chapter number 6. Verse number five, picking up mid-thought here from Paul, he's talking about things as we'll see that, well, you can't be these things and be inheritance of the kingdom of God. Verse five, per perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth. Watch this. Those who are destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. A corrupt idea of truth means that godliness is an avenue to accumulate stuff. Think about that. Paul, he's being straight out about this. And we know he's talking about stuff and, and material things because watch what he goes on to say. Verse 7. But godliness with contentment is great gain. If, if you want to gain in life, Chase godliness, the character of God growing in you. Be content. That's gain. Not, not thinking that if I'm godly, that just means I'm riches. But if you really want gain, godliness and contentment. Look what he keeps on saying. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And watch this. And having food and raiment or clothing... Let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and in many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet lay after, they erred from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. If your focus in life, if you think life consists of becoming rich, you open yourself up for temptations that could ultimately pull you away from the faith. If you, if you backtrack evil in our world, you will find a lot of it is rooted in the desire for money. Personally, and as systems in our world. Money itself is not evil, but it can be the root of evil if it's, if it's chased in the wrong way. You see, but if you want real gain in life, chase godliness coupled with contentment. That while becoming like him, no matter your circumstance, you can be satisfied and be at peace, and ultimately always be able to give thanks. Amen. You know, when Jesus said that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, he gave this little snapshot of a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle, and you would say that's impossible. 
So I've heard a lot of different explanations of why maybe the needle was the kind of a needle they used to, to you know, weave big ship's masts so it's a little bit bigger, so maybe if they can't, you know, no, no, no. Je Jesus was making a strong point. It, it's almost like when he says, look, if your right hand causes you to sink, cut it off. He doesn't really intend for you to cut your hand off, but he's making a strong point. The point is, those who chase riches become self-focused. Those who chase riches become self-dependent. And when you start getting into those attitudes, what it means is ultimately ends up in pride. You see? And when you get that way, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. That's not to say that those who are rich aren't, can't be saved. It's not what he's saying, but he's saying it can take you to places that you should not go in your soul. You see? It ultimately says life consists in the abundance of possessions, and Jesus said, no, it's not what it's about. So three points. Three points. First point is this. Contentment keeps greed in check. Now, it's one thing to say, don't be greedy. As in all things that you don't want to do something, you must become something. So if you don't want to be greedy, then become content. You must, you must quit spending and accumulating for the sake of spending and accumulating. Simple principle. Contentment keeps you from being trapped in greed. Greed is a pit ultimately of sacrificing important things to have material things. It's kind of like the, 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 the income winner in a household that wants everybody in the household to have everything, but in order to have everything in abundance, they're never home. They've sacrificed the relationship with their family that's more important than having things, thinking that having things will make his family happy. Greed causes us to, to sacrifice important things just to have things. You see, when you're content, you're satisfied in that peace, and the important things shine brighter. So, so it keeps greed in check. Greed is a black hole of self. We miss life while trying to gain things that we think will make life better. Greed thinks I will be happy and make others happy by the accumulation of things. Again, we begin to gain the whole world in the danger of losing our soul. So contentment keeps greed in check. Second point. Contentment keeps anxiety and worry about having things and being provided for in check. Contentment keeps anxiety and worries about having things and being provided for in check. Matthew chapter number 6, Sermon on the Mount. Now, now we know at the end of Sermon on the Mount, Jesus closed it by saying, hey, here's my translation of it, hey, if, if you want a house that isn't going to fall, then build your house on what I'm saying. But if, if you want to build a house that has big potential to crash, 
Don't build on what I'm saying. Build on the sand. And one of the things Jesus talks about is the way we view money and accumulation. So I'm not going to read all of this, but Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. What? Accumulation. Where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now watch the progression of what he says. So he's talking about storing up treasures in heaven. Then he goes to talk, talk about money very specifically. It jumped down to verse 24. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or money. So, store it for yourself treasure in heaven. In doing so, that's where your, the treasure of your heart will be. And you define something in your life, I am going to serve God and not money. Amen. And watch what he says, therefore. So he, he's bringing those points together. Therefore, watch what can happen for you. Take no thought for your life. What you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what shall I put in it? Is life not more than me and the body more than raiment? Talks about, he goes on to talk about how God provides for the birds and, 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 so, and he sees us as, as a higher creation than them. You, you can't add one hour to your life and uh, consider the, the, the flowers of the field so beautiful. I mean, even the splendor of Solomon can't measure up to it. But look, God will take care of you also. So, what shall we eat? Verse 31. What shall we drink? Or whither else shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. Another translation instead of Gentiles has the word pagan there. For the pagans run after this stuff. They're trying to accumulate all this stuff in life. But Jesus says then, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. And take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take the thought for the things in itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In other words, what he's saying is, don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of you. Seek me first. Goes back to what Paul was writing. I know what it's like to have, and I know what it's like to have not, and I have contentment in all of it because I know that it is him I find my strength to do all things. So when you are content, you don't get worried about having stuff. You don't get worried about being provided for. Because we know that if we're seeking his kingdom first, then he'll add to us what we need. Even, I would say, to give us the desires of our heart. Now, having said that, it's something Nicole touched on. You know, God is not the great ATM machine of the sky. Nor is she put it, nor is he the genie in the bottle that you rub three times, the lamp, and it comes out, and he gives you all his three wishes, and then he just jumps back in there, and the only time you ever want to see him is when you're asking for stuff. It's not what God is, but he does want to give you the desires of your heart, as long as it's not in greed as long as you're not coveting, desiring accumulation, wanting to have more, keeping up with the Joneses, whatever you want to call it. 
So contentment keeps that in check. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Contentment, peace. God's with me. It's all right. I will be provided for. Last point, number three. It keeps greed in check. It keeps anxiety and worry in check. And number three, when you are content, you're able to give. And then the circle turns, and when you give, you're content. It's a circle. When you are content, it enables you to be a giver. You're not worried about keeping stuff. Keep it to myself. You're free in giving. And the more you give, the more content you get in life. I, I, I was, it's, been a, it's been probably two or three years. I was watching Christian television. Preacher was on there talking about the blessings of God in his life. And how the blessings of God was trickling down through his family. He was just talking about some stuff, you know, some solid teaching. Then he said... And I'm going to give the benefit of doubt here because I didn't hear the whole thing, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume in a massive way I missed something. But what he said was, and his son at the time was in grade school, let me tell you what the blessings of God is. My son has seven BMX dirt bikes. He bought a couple of them. Somebody gave him some money. Then he was given, I don't know, five of them. I mean, you go to our garage and they're lined up, all shiny. He keeps them clean. He's got seven BMX dirt bikes. Blessings of God. And I was going, and I didn't doubt the blessings of God. Okay, oh, great, that's awesome. I'm glad he's got seven bikes, but I'm going, and I'm waiting for it. And then he gave six of them away. Or he sold four of them and gave the money to a missions project in our church. Or I was waiting for the and of what you do with the blessings of God. I didn't catch it, so I'm assuming it happened in another message. So, I, that, the, that the, the boy would be content with one. It's okay to have a bike and a nice one. But then when he would see seven in the garage, that he would go, man, I don't know about this. I know I, at least I can find six people my age, six kids, my friends at school that, that need a bike. Or maybe, maybe we'll wait till Christmas and we'll, we'll go around and put a bow on them because they were brand new and we'll, we'll give them to somebody. Just See, when you are ultimately content, it's okay to give six of the bikes away because you just wanted one and you're satisfied and at peace with, with one. You see what I'm saying? Because what is the ultimate reason we're blessed? I don't doubt that God blessed him. I just, I just hope I missed the fact that he gave them all away. You see what I'm saying? When you are content, it opens you up to be a big giver. You're not worried about lining up your bikes in the garage. Wow, look at my bikes. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's great, buddy. I'm, I'm glad. You see what I'm saying? One, I had a... a I was, I was very fortunate that when I decided to go in ministry, when I was still in college pursuing stuff, that I had some 
gentlemen in my life that were very wise. And I had one tell me one time, I was probably in my last, last year of college, and, and he sat me down and he said, now you're going to pursue, I'm assuming, a job in ministry when you're done with school. I said, well, I hope so. I hope somebody will take me. You know, I don't want to waste my education. Or really, ultimately, what I felt God was asking me to do. He said, good. Let me give you a piece of advice. Don't make money your objective of where you take a job. And I thought about it. I was like, well, okay. Oh, okay. That sounds good. It came into play because one of the places I was offered a job where I felt I was supposed to go was volunteer, and they weren't going to pay me nothing. Seriously. I worked at that church for, for a year and a half before they started giving me money. One of the wisest things I was ever told, don't base your life decisions, especially within a calling of God, on how much money you get as a result. Because if you are doing what God has asked you to do, he will always provide Amen. and be content in his provision. Yeah. So, I'll close with this story. I graduated. I, I married Margot, right? My first job is a volunteer youth pastor job of a church of 150 people. She was working at the state insurance claim company, so we had great insurance, which was a blessing. I found a job framing houses, which, by the way, I'm super glad, grateful for because I've used skills that I learned on that job up until this day, so it was, to me, a blessing. But we weren't making a whole lot of money. You're a laborer framing houses. It just don't come in in a big way. And I, I told this recently, taking my offering, but our apartment, if I took a running start and jumped right here, I bet I could hit the other wall. It wasn't big. We didn't have a kitchen table. So uh, when Margaret would make dinner, we had an igloo cooler, a blue one, that we got as a wedding gift. That was our, kitchen, that was our dining room table. We'd go and we'd sit down and eat. And you know what? We would just laugh like crazy. We thought it was just the funnest thing. Our bedroom didn't have a door. It had saloon doors. I'm not kidding you. It was just crazy. It's the upstairs apartment. We lived above, above an older couple. There was no air conditioning. It got so hot up there. But we were having fun. I was enjoying what I was doing at the church, and I was learning skills on my job. Right? We were content. We were satisfied, and we were at peace. But we were still planning and saving. Okay, what's our next place going to look like? That's okay. So we eventually, a little while, it moved into a townhouse. We thought that was just, we, we hit the top, man, townhouse. It was just a nice place. And, and, but you see, we were still planning, and it wasn't greedy. It was just okay. And then we had Ryan, and we had to have it because of the extra room and just different. But see, in all those things, and by the way, when the church took me on staff, you know how much they pay me a year? $15,000 a year. You didn't hear that. All right. So 15, but you know what? We were never, ever, ever without. Did we have all the ideals that we wanted? No, of course not. 
At the same time, my best, one of my best friends from high school was named Garrett. Um, uh, we still hung out with them, you know. Uh, they had everything. They had a house in the suburbs, a couple nice cars. He had a grill. I was jealous. He had a grill. I couldn't grill. I loved a grill, but he had a grill. I didn't have one. Whenever we'd hang out, we'd go to their house. They always wanted to go out to eat. We didn't have the money to go out to, hey, can we just make something here, you know, always, always bringing them back to eating in and not out. All these different things. They, they had what we thought was everything. Then a handful of years later, they filed for bankruptcy, had maxed their credit card, couldn't keep up with their mortgage because they had to have it now and didn't wait for the progression of life to increase at all. They weren't content trying to keep up with everything, weren't content. You see what I'm saying? So godliness with contentment is great gain because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And when you stand right there, you can give thanks in all things. So I say this, seek first the kingdom of God, store up treasure in heaven and be rich towards God. Work hard, be smart, be a good steward. In those, be content. Wherever you're at in that process, be content because God is with you. He's not going to leave you. He will provide for you. Then plan life. Chase your dreams. Do what God calls you to do. And when you do increase and do see things happen, they will be in the right motive, the right perspective, and God will honor those things. And then when you have seven bikes in the garage, you give them away. Amen. Let's pray. Well, I thank you tonight that, that you have been our provider. Just for a second, everybody, again, give thanks that God has been your provider. Give thanks. Lord, we thank you that you are our provider. We thank you so much for that. You're always with us. You haven't left us. You haven't forsaken us. But Lord Jesus, uh, I pray that greed never grips our heart, anxiety and worry never grips our heart, and that we will always be givers, no matter what, we're givers. We're, we're tithers, we're givers. We are, we are people that are meeting the needs of others. And we, we pray that you use us in those things to spread the gospel. But we just worship you. And we praise you tonight. Again, thank you so much. We have thankful hearts, overflowing hearts for what you have done for us. And that we know that you will keep doing for us. We thank you for an opportunity tonight to come to the house of faith, our family. We got to spend time together. It doesn't stop until we see each other again Sunday. But I pray as we go tonight, we have a sense in our heart that we're rescuers. That between now and Sunday, we take this gospel to the world. Use us, Lord Jesus. We ask that. And in your name and in your glory, for your glory, we pray that. Jesus' name.